Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, hey, welcome to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King, and I am your host today to take your questions and your prayer requests. I want to welcome all of our listeners on Grace FM up and down the front range. It is a it's, re- it's truly a privilege to be able to be with you today. Uh, I love the opportunity that we have to be able to connect through radio, to be able to um, just share about what God's doing in, uh, you know, in our city, in our region, in our area uh, here in Colorado. Uh, it's cool to be able to connect with you on the Front Range uh, from you know, way up in Wyoming uh, all the way you know, down into uh, Pueblo, and uh, it's just awesome. Also, hey, I want to welcome all of our listeners on the East Coast. If you're listening on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, or Truth FM in Tennessee, North Carolina, and Kentucky, you're hearing this broadcast on a one-week delay. Um, and so just keep that in mind. Uh, but I also want to encourage you, still call in. We'd love to take your calls. We'd love to answer them for you, your questions, and to be able to pray with you, pray for you. Um, It may not be me that's talking to you when you call in, uh, but it will be somebody who would love to be able to connect with you and to answer your questions and take your prayer requests. Uh, Also, I want to welcome all of our listeners uh, through uh, the web and online and through the Grace FM app. Hey, welcome. It is Awesome that you're able to hear us in all sorts of different places across the country and literally around the world. Uh, so wherever you're at, we'd love to be able to hear from you. You can call, you can text as well. Again, my name is Cody King, and I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Calvary. Uh, we are a Calvary Chapel church here in the metro Denver area. We're located in Commerce City, uh, about a, a, a a couple of miles east of Highway 2 off of 104th Avenue uh, is where we're holding Sunday services. It's a, a school in the Reunion area called Landmark Academy. Uh, we've got one Sunday morning service at 10 a.m., and I'd love to have you join us. Um, if you're looking for a church and you're on this north side of town, uh, stop by. We'd love to be able to connect with you, to be able to uh, serve you in the things of the Lord. Uh, we're currently doing a, sur- a series, a study through the Ten Commandments. It's been really powerful for us to take a look at Exodus chapter 20 and these Ten Commandments and taking them one at a time. Uh, currently, we're going to be going into this Sunday, Commandment number three. It's uh, really amazing to be able to, uh, to to study God's Word that way and to go through it. Uh, if you want directions uh, to listen to some messages, you want to check out more information about the church, our website is redemptioncalvary.org. Also, you can listen to our radio program on, uh, it's called Redemption Radio, right here on Grace FM. It airs weeknights at 8 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. And we are currently studying through the book of 1 Timothy on our radio program, Redemption Radio. Hey, give me a call, 303-690-3000. Or you can also send me a text at 720-336-0890. 
888-900-3597. We'd love to be able to hear from you. Uh, my uh, radio producer is letting me know that we have listeners in South Africa and Ukraine and then blips across the map of the United States. Really cool to be able to connect with you uh, and awesome to be able to, uh, to be able to serve you in the things of the Lord. Um, hey, one thing I was thinking about this week, um, I saw on a social media post from Skip Heitzig. Uh, it said this, the Christian preacher has a boundary set for him. When he enters the pulpit, he is not an entirely free man. He's not at liberty to invent or choose his message. It has been committed to him, and it is for him to declare, expound, and comment it to his hearers. I just love the way that that quote is stated. Just the reality, the truth that that preachers and teachers of God's word, uh, myself included, and maybe you're a preacher or teacher uh, of God's word, that you are not entirely free. You are bound by the scriptures to say what they say, to faithfully declare God's message to his people and to those who are not yet his people. And so I just want to encourage you with that thought, that that's an important thing. And really, when we think about that concept, there's one idea that um, surrounds that, and, and it's called expository preaching or exposition of the scriptures. And the heart behind that is to expose God's word. That's that's really what expository preaching is, is that we want to look into what God's word says and expose what God's word says. Um, And that's a, a vital part of the church. It's one of the primary functions of our weekly gathering is to look into God's word and to see what God has to say. Uh, And so one of the things I've been able to connect with and become a part of in my love for expository preaching and my desire to help raise up more expository preachers and teachers is something called the Expositors Collective. Uh, The Expositors Collective is designated and designed to target younger preachers and and teachers between the ages of 18 and 35 to be able to spend a weekend together um, and to be able, it's it's literally a 24-hour period of time. And uh, as we spend that period of time together, we're diving into the principles that undergird and support the concept of expository preaching and teaching. Um, and we're actually going to be holding a training weekend coming up February 21st and 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, be a part of that. If you if you are interested in learning, being trained, being equipped, being poured into by some tremendous preachers and teachers of God's Word, uh, then the Expositors Collective is for you. You can uh, check out their website, expositorscollective.com, in order to register and get more information about what's going on with that. And maybe you're hearing that and you're like, I'm interested, uh, but you are outside of that uh, age range and you're wondering, what about me? Well, there is something for you as well. I would encourage you to check out the podcast uh, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, check out the podcast, Expositors Collective, and you can listen in on some of the training weekends and hear some really great interviews uh, as well. Uh, hey, my name's Cody King. I'm here in studio, ready to take your calls and your prayer requests. Give me a call, 303-690-3000, or you can send in a text message to 720-336-0897. Let's go to line one and Steve in Lafayette. Steve, you're on Calvary Live. Hey, Pastor Cody. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, so this weekend, uh, I'm a volunteer youth leader at my church, and we're heading up awesome. to a, a winter camp, um, which I'm really excited about and at the same time kind of nervous about. Uh, some of the guys in my small group have uh, 
uh, their high schoolers, and they got into tr- some trouble on this last uh, trip that we went up to. Um, and so going up on this winter retreat, there's like some stiff guidelines that I need to follow with the guys, and I and I just need some wisdom on how to follow up with both the truth that they have to um, deal with the consequences of their choices and then also continue to share like God's love and grace with them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a it's a really great thing to be able to do. I, I'll have some questions for you on, on making sure that I'm, I'm answering what you're asking. But I, I think that one of the things that we've got to approach with this, especially with teenagers, is there's this uh, sort of mentality that says we need to take restraint off of teens and just kind of let them do whatever. Otherwise, they're going to feel restricted and they're going to run away from uh, things. But the the reality is that it's sort of the opposite, and and I think you hit on the really key components to what's uh, to what matters in that um, is the idea of blending the concepts of grace and truth, um, and that's where in John chapter one uh, we're told that that's what Jesus that's who he is. In John one seventeen it says, "For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ," and there's this idea of grace and truth. That, that if we're, you know, too much, le- well, let me back up for a second. When I say that, when I say grace and truth, you're going to naturally be drawn to one. There's one side of that that you're just going to really identify with. And the other side is going to be a little bit more of a challenge for you. Some people, they're grace minded kinds of people. And uh, they think in terms of, you know, well, you know, uh, love covers a multitude of sins and the Lord will change their heart and let's just love them. And eventually we'll see some change happen, which is totally true. Uh, And then there's the other side of that, where there's the truth side of things, where people are naturally drawn to that to say, here's the boundaries, here's the rules, here's how this works. Uh, There are consequences and that's necessary as well. And and yet in here, in, in John chapter one, what we see is that Jesus is this perfect blending of those things. And when you look at the way he deals with people, it, it's it's tremendous the way that he's able to do that, that he's able to all at once be able to call to the truth and serve them in grace. And so I think that that's sort of where you're you're struggling. That's the heart of your question is to say, how do I do that the right way? Is that is that kind of what you're thinking through? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's right where I'm at. And for me personally, I, I, I think I tend to fall more on the grace side of things where like I know like God can move in their hearts and like I have a lot of patience for them. Um, but just with the events that have occurred, like there definitely needs to be some lines drawn. Um and so just to 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 receive the wisdom on how to how to do that um in a loving way, uh, mm-hmm. especially when it doesn't come so naturally for me. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we can tend to on, you know, some, sometimes the way that our, we tend to think about it is we tend toward uh, almost over-exaggerating some of our weaknesses in order to make a point or whatever. And uh, avoiding that's definitely uh, an important idea. Now, with this, I think that to, to really um, hopefully free you up with this is what you want to do in terms of um, bringing the 
I don't know, I guess the rules or whatever you would want to call it, is to see that structure is actually going to serve these teens better than non-structure. Let me illustrate it for you with music. Um, I play guitar, um, and uh, one of the things that I had to learn when I was learning how to play guitar is that there are notes, and when you put those notes together, they create chords. So the structure of music um, is definite. It's very exact. Um, it's a lot like math. And uh, so, you know, when you're, when you're playing music, usually people who are great at math are also good at music because of the way that it works. And so in this, if I stay within the construct and the confines of the rules that are set forth within those notes and the structures, then I can make music. But if I violate those rules, I only make noise. Um, and so if we can take it and see that the, the rules that, that are being applied, it's not saying I just feel like coming down on you and I just want to, you know, uh, organize things so that there's, there's no fun and there's no, um, there's no uh, I don't know, just um, uh, being spontaneous or anything like that, but that I'm actually organizing these rules. I'm organizing this structure so that it serves you so that as so long as you operate within the structure, you're actually going to have a good time and not just make noise. Um, with your life. And so I think that that's the biggest thing for you to approach it with is that mentality to say, I'm not ruining stuff for them. I'm actually organizing it so they can really actually have a great time. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a great metaphor. They like that. Yeah, definitely. So I would say, um, you know, just, just go into it with the confidence of the Lord to say, I'm serving them best by doing this. Because here's the reality. When God says don't, what he's saying is, don't hurt yourself. He's yeah. not withholding good from you. That's the lie that Satan told Eve in the garden, yeah. that God was withholding good. And so if if you truly are with your rules, if you're withholding good, then you got to reevaluate your rules. But if you're setting this up to serve them best, then they may not like it or they may, you know, because I, I, I've got some teens uh, as, as kids of my own. And uh, sometimes they sort of buck those rules or whatever, but later on, they always come back to realize, actually, that was for my best, and they'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, you mind if I pray for you? I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, right on. Lord, I pray for Steve uh, now. I just want to lift him to you and ask that you would fill him with your spirit. Give him courage and confidence as he takes these teens uh, to a retreat. I pray that you would work miraculous and wondrous things that your spirit would be uh, moving among them in ways that uh, couldn't be uh, made up or produced any other way. God, I pray for these teens that he's struggling through how to serve them well and properly, that you would give him wisdom and show him how he can navigate through this difficult season and to be able to uh, see fruit come as a result of your word poured into them and encouragement sown into their lives. So God, encourage Steve and show him the path that he can take that most honors you, because that's always what's best for us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Cody. Right. Yeah, great to talk to you, Steve. Yeah, great talking to you too. Right on. God bless you, man. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King. I am the lead pastor at Redemption Calvary here in Commerce City, Colorado. And I uh, love to take your calls and answer your prayer requests. You can give me a call, 303-690-3000. 
or send a text at 720-336-0897. Hey, just a word on the texts message line. If you try to call that line, nobody's going to answer it. Nobody's standing by a phone ready to answer that line. It's just for text messages. And we'll also use those primarily when we're uh, seeking to fill some time in the show. Hey, uh, let's go to line two and Paul in Aurora. Paul, you're on Calvary Live. Hey, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. How are you? Absolutely. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, so just to give a little backstory, my wife and my four-month-old son have been out of town for the past couple of days on a little work trip for my wife. And uh, so uh, one of my coworkers came up and I said, hey, I really miss my wife and son. I'm ready to pick him up tonight. And, and he said, well, you're supposed to say you, you miss your son. You know, your son should always come first. And I said, well, no, actually, my wife, the relationship between my wife and I is absolute number one, and every other relationship comes second. And he got blown away by that and said, I have never heard anyone ever say that before, and I that's a terrible thing to say. I can't believe you'd ever put your son second. And I said, well, hang on a second. I'm not choosing one or the other. I'm just saying my wife, the relationship between my wife and I is the most important relationship in my life. And my family is, is a very close second. I mean, and all this is side to Christ. It, Christ comes first, then my wife and then family friends. And, and, uh, he said, so you're telling me if someone was holding a gun to your wife's head and then in your son's head and you had to choose which one would live and which one would die, you'd pick your wife. I said, well, that's a ridiculous question because that scenario would never happen and sure. and it would it's something I would never have to make a choice between and um but he said I have never heard anyone say they would ever pick their wife over their children before and if that's the way that your god wants you to live your life then I don't want any part of of that god I want he, he can just go pound sand and blah 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 kind of went off and so I'm kind of curious how I I should approach this biblically and be able to witness to him that he might, you know, help click and understand a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. I'm assuming your coworker is, is not a believer. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that's, and so I'm actually, how do I say this the right way? I'm not surprised that he hasn't heard that concept before because it's a biblical idea. Um, and so, you know, the way that our world works is, man, kids are everything and I put them first and, you know, even when uh, it comes to the way that a marriage works out and everything, you know, people, they'll enter into this divorce kind of a thing and split up and the whole fight is over who gets the kids. And so that's kind of the the way that everyone really approaches it. And, and what I would say is I, I sort of have a lot of thoughts, so I'm going to try to b- boil some of this down. Um, what I would say is that when you as a family place your children at the center of the family, you set the family up for destruction. That's just, there's no way around it. The the kids are not to be the center of the family. Um, And when you do that, you put them in a position that they don't belong in. Um, Really, when I think of this, um, gosh, let me try to do this quickly. So in Genesis chapter you know, two, when God brings Adam and Eve together, he brought them together. Um, He didn't, he could have given them kids right away. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he brought them together and that was the family. Um, And he even said, 
for this reason, you leave your father and mother to be joined to your wife. Um, and so that that's there. And then Jesus quotes that verse uh, in the New Testament as well. And so, you know, I would point all the way back to Genesis and saying, God's the one that instituted this relationship. And he said that this is the, the primary um, uh, human relationship that follows him is a man and a wife. It's not a man and his buddies. It's not a man and his kids. It's not a man and his dog. It's not a man and his horse, right? It's it's a man and his wife. And that's the primary um, relationship. And then all other relationships sort of fall under that. Um, and so I would, I would point to that. But also one, one of the things that I would point to is the idea in um, Exodus chap, at chapter 20, uh, where God gives the Ten Commandments. And the second commandment um, God says, don't have any idols. And then in verse 5, Exodus 25, uh, he said, 20, verse 5, it says, for I'm a jealous God. It says it there. And when you look at that idea of the jealousy of God, it's one of those words that for us is difficult because we tend to think of, well, that's a weird one. Isn't, isn't jealousy bad? How can God be jealous? And the reality is that God is jealous not of me, He's jealous for me, uh, meaning he's jealous for me in the same way that I'm jealous for my wife, that I have one wife, um, she belongs to me and I belong to her, and I'm only interested in our relationship if it's a mutually exclusive relationship. You know, my my wife, I, I'm not into her having a bunch of guys on the side, or, you know, if she comes to me and says, hey, I really love you, I think it's a great relationship, but, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to maybe add some more relationships to this. Where would you like to be? Would you like to be before them, alongside them, or behind them? How do you want this to go? And And my answer is, my position is I want them to be at the end of my fist. You know, that's my thought. Like, well, I'm right. not playing around with this. That's because of the jealousy I have for our relationship. That's the concept. Um, and so really kids come out of that relationship. They're a product of that relationship. They don't come over the relationship. Um, right. And so getting that in line is is really sort of vital. I have one more thought, but I uh, just wanted to, to hear what you had to say about that. Well, no, I I completely agree, and and uh, it's it's just kind of hard trying to explain that biblically to him when he has no for biblical sure. stature. I've been witnessing to him for a little while, and and he comes to me with questions about stuff, thinking that you know he wants a biblical answer and see what I think about it. Okay, um, but this is the first time that it's ever kind of like made him step back and say, "Whoa, that's that's incorrect." But that's crazy, I had yeah. to kind of try and express to him, like, listen, you don't understand. Just because I'm saying that my wife and I's relationship is number one does not mean the relationship between me and my kids is not important. It doesn't mean I'm throwing them to the curb. It's, It's one of those things where in almost every situation I've seen where the, 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 spouses were not putting each other first and they got divorced or whatever there was always separation and tension between even the relationships between the children and the parents Absolutely. so yep. so like even him he he has an ex an ex-wife that he had a daughter with and because they did not put each other first and were not on the same page with their parenting that daughter sides with him and loves him a lot and more or less resents her mother, sure. um, even though she lives with them, there's a lot of damage there. And, and I, I try and explain that, like, if you two were on the same page and it was a loving, caring, uh, 
dedicated relationship and you guys put each other first, the relationship between you guys and your kids would would more or less follow. It, it wouldn't fall apart because you guys would both be in it together and it would be on the same page. And, yeah. and it's just trying to figure out how to approach that statement that he would understand yeah. it. Absolutely. I think partially what you can do is is kind of back up with him a little bit and help him to understand that you're coming at this from a, a biblical perspective. And and that, you know, hey, I understand that you this is new to you. This is a weird idea to you. I totally get that. Um, but you've got to understand that I don't believe in the Bible the way that I believe in uh, the manual for my car. Um, it's It's not the same kind of a thing. Um, this is what, what God's word, this is God's word to humanity. This is God's revelation of himself. It's not speculation about God. It's revelation from God. And so uh, I get that it doesn't make sense to you all the time. And I, and I get that this is sort of turning things on its head, but you've got to understand that I believe it this way. And so that's why I approach it this way, because I believe that God's designed it to be this way. So when you approach it from that perspective, then it's not a matter of, well, this is my opinion, this is your opinion, and you know, whatever, because everyone's got opinions about all sorts of things, and there's nothing that really makes your opinion better than mine or mine better than yours. They're just opinions. They're I like to say opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them and they all stink. Um, and so it really doesn't matter uh, what my opinion is. What matters is this is what God says, and I'm choosing to believe that. The, the other thing that I would say is... Um, the that we tend to think of our lives in a linear fashion, short, sort of like a stack, maybe like a stack of books. And we want to put the most important book at the top of the stack. And so we're going to say, all right, God is represented by that book. He gets the first place. And then under that is my wife. And then under that is my kids. And then under that is my job or whatever it happens to be, whatever the priority order that people have in their lives. And I would say that that, that even though that concept is really familiar for us, I would say that it's actually an incorrect idea for how to think of your life. Your life's not linear. What I would say is think of your life more in a circular kind of an idea. And uh, the, the concept being that God is at the center of that and he has gravity and, and everything either flows from him or to him. So your life's not like this linear stack of things where I got to get the priorities set. And, you know, as long as God gets 51%, then he's first and then everything else can kind of flow. That's just not how it works. It's more that God is at the center of everything. And if it doesn't fit inside that Jesus box, if you will, then it just doesn't fit in my life. Everything flows in there. So when then what that does is it rearranges things to where it's not about you know, do I prioritize this? Do I put this, you know, do I give enough time to this? Do I give enough attention to this? Instead, it's everything is submitted to and flowing to and for the glory of God. And when I think of it that way, then, then my kids are not for my glory. My kids are, I'm not for their glory, that our relationship is for the glory of God. And then I'm able to prioritize things correctly. I'm able to put things uh, where they belong within that sort of circular concept instead of a linear idea. Yeah. Wow. I, I really like that analogy. That, that, that's really cool. That really makes a whole lot of sense. Right on. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that that helps you. I, here's part of it as well. You know, um, non-believers are, we're told in second Timothy that they're held captive by Satan. 
And, and so one of the things I think that is very, very important is for us to view people who are non-believers that way, that they're not the enemy, they're being held captive by the enemy. And when we see it that way, let me see, uh, the verse is 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 25, it says, In humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So when I think about your coworker, that's the sort of the category that I would put him in, that he's, he's in prison, he's been placed there by Satan, and you're showing him the way out, and uh, he wants to shut the bars and say, no, I like it in here. And in fact, I'm not in prison. You're the one in prison. Um, and, you know, we can, I think it's important to sort of answer some of these side issues. But really, the issue we want to get to is is Jesus. And that's why, you know, I, I would say, maybe back up a little bit and say, I actually believe the Bible. I believe it's revelation from God. And so I'm submitted to this, not because of an opinion, but because uh, I believe it's it's the Word of God. Yeah, and I I told him that uh, one of the biggest reasons that I put my wife, you know, in, in such high importance and dedication in my life is that that's uh, not only me trying to live a Christ-like example, but also um, leaving a good example for my son to grow up Amen. with, to, so that that be something he knows how to treat his wife um, absolutely. when he finds her. Right on. Absolutely. Well, keep on going, Paul, and uh, praying that the Lord reveals things and it gives you more confidence in all of it. You're listening to Calvary Live. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King, and I'm your host today, answering your questions and taking your prayer requests. I want to welcome all of our listeners on Grace FM up and down the front range, and also welcome our listeners on the East Coast on Hope FM and Truth FM. Hey, if you're listening um, on the East Coast, then I just want to remind you that you're hearing this broadcast on a one-week delay. Uh, we're still here. We're ready to take your calls and answer your uh, prayer requests and questions. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, but just uh, keep in mind that you may not be talking to the person that you're hearing uh, at the same time. Also want to welcome our listeners online and through the Grace FM app. It's awesome to be able to uh, connect with you through all of uh, this technology that we have uh, in the Lord. So also uh, our... Um, radio uh, engineer was letting me know that we got some listeners from uh, South, South Korea. Uh, so, hey, welcome. Glad that you guys are able to listen there as well. All right. So, uh, hey, one of the things that I was uh, just letting you know about at the top of the show I wanted to retouch on is that uh, I've been able to connect with something called the Expositors Collective. And the whole point and goal of the Expositors Collective is it's a group of like-minded um experienced pastors, preachers, and teachers who want to serve a younger generation and help train and equip those who want to handle God's Word faithfully. Um, and so really it's it's designed for those who are between the ages of 18 and 35 uh, as a training weekend, uh, something that happens over the course of a Friday afternoon through a Saturday afternoon. 
And uh, it's designed as an intensive to be able to train and equip uh, young preachers and teachers to be able to handle God's Word faithfully. This is for both men and women. And our next training weekend is coming up February 21st and 22nd in Las Vegas. So, hey, if you are interested in being trained and equipped, then make your way to Las Vegas. Uh, We'd love to be able to connect with you there, as well as if you know somebody who needs this. Maybe maybe you know, uh, you have a youth pastor in your church, or you have um, maybe a a son or daughter or a nephew uh, or a niece, and you're thinking, hey, they they could really use this. Then I would encourage you, um, get them a plane ticket, get them to Las Vegas, uh, and get them connected to Expositors Collective. You can get more information about Expositors Collective. You can register for the event uh, all on the website, expositorscollective.com. Uh, I'll be there in Vegas uh, February 21st and 22nd and look forward to seeing those of you who will be there with me uh, as well. Hey, uh, you're listening to Calvary Live. Again, my name's Cody King. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Calvary and uh, just loving the opportunity to be able to serve you here on Calvary Live. Give me a call at 303-690-3000 or you can send a text message to 720-336-0800. Nine seven. Let's go to line three and Darla in Maryland. Darla, you're on Calvary Live. Yes. Hi. How are you, Pastor? Uh, I'm I doing well. How are you? Question about um, your understanding of what happens after the thousand-year reign. By I've heard uh, where Jesus, you know, of course, he cast Satan into hell, and all the Christians are with Satan, and we're I mean, with Jesus, and we're enjoying and we're jubilant and having uh, worshiping Him. What happens? in your understanding, and if you have scripture for that, for after the thousand-year reign, I've um, heard that he, well, Satan will be unleashed again? Yes, yeah, so uh, what you're referring to is Revelation chapter 20. Uh, in the first part of Revelation chapter 20, um, well, let me back up a little bit. What we see happen in Revelation 19 is the second coming of Jesus, uh, and this is a distinct and separate event from what is known as the rapture of the church. Uh, and so what we see is that Jesus is now returning to earth with his saints, um, and he is uh, basically overthrowing the satanic um, rebellion that has mounted on earth over the last seven years uh, through the time frame of Revelation. Now, in this, what we see happening is that Jesus returns in Revelation 19, and then uh, what he does is he commands an angel to um, bind Satan and to throw him not into hell, but Revelation chapter 20 says, the bottomless pit, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And so Satan isn't thrown into hell, as we would describe it, which is uh, the lake of fire, that's what we mean by saying, saying hell, which is Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. So that happens much later in the chapter. So what takes place between that? What happens between this Satan being bound uh, and thrown into a bottomless pit, and then now Satan being put into this lake of fire? Well, what happens is what you describe the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And what happens here is that Jesus literally sits on a throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning the entire world for a thousand years. Now, when this takes place, uh, after this thousand years, what we see happening is that um, Satan is released. So so what is, what's going on with all of this? Uh, essentially, what's taking place is that Jesus sets up his rule and reign, 
And he uh, um, establishes that with the people, not only that he returns with his saints, but then there are also those who uh, survive the the uh, events of Revelation, the Great Tribulation. The uh, Bible also refers to it as the uh, cup of, of Jacob's trouble. Um, and so as we look at this, we see that um, uh, Jesus... He sets up this rule and reign. People live during this thousand-year reign, and they have kids who have kids who have kids for a thousand years. Now, this might be difficult to grasp, but in this, at the end of this time, Satan is released from the bottomless pit, and he is able to gather together non-believers who are on the, on the earth. It might be hard to grasp that because you think, how in the world could there be people who don't believe in Jesus as God, who sacrificed himself for their sins, uh, when he's literally sitting on a throne in the new temple in Jerusalem? Well, it's going to happen, that the the rebellious heart of humanity is going to be shown in this time, uh, and people will... Uh, rebel against the Lord, and, and it says in there in Revelation 20 that Satan gathers them together to have this final um, uh, attack on Jerusalem. Um, and so from there, this satanic rebellion is crushed, starting in verse, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 20. Um, and from there uh, the, is the final judgment, which is called the Great White Throne Judgment. So uh, that's kind of the the timeline of some of those events okay. in the very last times. Wow. Okay. No, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the insight. Um, it's always we, have, my sister and I, have lots of discussion about this. Um, and our pastors preach on it probably a couple of times that we, and he's gone uh, in detail. And we've always raised this question about you know what in the world uh, to release Satan again? But yeah, what's um, happening? <laughs> it's it's like wow. So, okay, I appreciate your insight, and thank you so much for taking my call tonight. Absolutely, Darla. It's great to hear from you. Oh, great, and you have a blessed day. Thank you so much. You as well. All right, God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Calvary here in Commerce City, Colorado. Uh, we're a metro Denver uh, city here in uh, in Colorado, and we hold Sunday services at Landmark Academy, which is in the reunion area of Commerce City. Uh, it's located off of 104th Avenue, about two miles east of Highway 2. We've got one Sunday service at 10 a.m., and I'd love to have you join us. If you are looking for a church to to join, if you're looking for somewhere to kind of check out and to see what church is about, maybe you're listening in and, and you're not even, maybe you're thinking, man, this Christian thing is sort of crazy and I don't know what they're talking about with Satan and bit and pits and all sorts of stuff. And you're just kind of curious and kind of wondering, I just want to invite you. You're you're invited. I'd love to see you. Let me know that you you came to Redemption, and I'd love to be able to talk to you. Uh, we can have a cup of coffee and uh, maybe a donut or something. And I'd love to be able to to meet you and, and to know your name. Uh, for directions, for messages, for more information, check out our website. It's redemptioncalvary.org. Uh, you can find a bunch of info there, and also you can listen to our radio program right here on Grace FM, which is it, it airs weeknights at eight p.m. 
Also, it airs Sunday mornings at 9.30 in the morning, and we're currently studying through the book of 1 Timothy. Hey, give me a call, 303-690-3000, or send me a text message at 720-336-0897. Let's look at some of uh, these text messages that I've gotten. I uh, have one here that says, I've got a question about uh, and a prayer request uh, for my younger brother. Uh, He's a believer, but just seems to be drifting in life. He's 27, still lives with our parents and works at at a day camp and seems satisfied to allow things to just happen. Prayer for him and uh, to prayer for him to gain a passion and direction would be great. But also, how do I encourage him in grace to be more proactive in his approach to life? I think that's a a really, really great question. Thanks for texting that in. I think it's something that um, needs to be addressed, uh, not just for your your brother, um, but also just for people in general. Um, Because once once we sort of lose hope or vision or uh, direction in life, then things just, they tend to kind of grind to a halt. Um, And the, the reality is that God has made us for so much more. And so where I would, what I think about when I hear you say that, uh, when I hear your question, is uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, it's, it tells us, um, uh, how do I pick where to start? Paul, when he writes these letters, he's got so many thoughts that just build together. And so figuring out where to start exactly is, is sometimes difficult. But essentially in chapter two, uh, it starts off with the idea of your salvation, that you've been made alive in Christ, that you were dead in trespasses and sins. And now you are made alive because of faith in Jesus. And then in verse four, it tells us, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's this concept of development. Not only am I saved, but I'm developing in my faith. And the natural product of that is what it tells us in verses 8, 9, and 10. It says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Right, Going back to the idea of salvation, that you've been, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and that your faith in him, uh, not, not as a historical figure, not saying, I place my faith in Jesus the way I place my faith in Abraham Lincoln. No, but that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. He defeated death. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of his life, I have the hope of eternal life. And so because of that, by grace, I've been saved. It's a gift of God, right? That's that's what uh, verse 9 says. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then listen, here's verse 10. I think this is the key. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the question that I would I would pose to your brother. And and the way I would approach this is I would read that section of scripture and say, "Listen, you are a believer. You've placed your faith in Jesus." And, and it seems as though things are sort of just stalled in life. And let me ask you the question. Have you considered what God's made you for? Have you asked him, what's the thing that God expects from my life? Because very clearly in verse 10, it says that we're his workmanship. And that word workmanship, when you look into the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it's the the word poema. And uh, it's the word from which we derive uh, poem. Um, Sounds really familiar and similar to the word word poem. And what this is, 
is it's, it's a, an idea of crafting. It's not just that God threw some stuff together and said, well, here's a life, you figure it out. No, God created you, God crafted you, God formed you. He gave you the personality that you have. He gave you the mind that you have. He gave you the gifts that you have. And he gave you the position that you have. Um, everything about your life belongs to God and it's loan to you. So the question is, are you doing what he's asked you to do? Do you even know what it is? Have you, have you even spent time asking God to show you what it is? Lord, would you tell me? Would you direct me? Would you reveal to me? What have you made me for? What's the path that you've laid out for my life? And what do you want me to accomplish? Because here's the thing. There's only one you. And the, the truth is that God has things that he has in mind for what he created you to accomplish. And as soon as you know what that is, and as soon as you start pursuing what that is, you're going to find a totally new lease on life. You're going to find a new drive, a new passion. This is what will wake you up in the morning because the truth and reality of standing in front of Jesus one day and giving an account for your life will show up in how you live your day to day. What am I going to do with my time? What, what am I going to do with the gifts and talents that he's given me? It's not like, you know, that gift you get from your grandma for Christmas and it's that, that sweater that you're like, I'm never wearing that thing. That's not like the gifts that God gives. He doesn't expect us to open, them up, open up these gifts that he's given to us and say, well, I, I didn't really like this one. I don't really want to use that one. No, it's not like that. It's to say that I'm going to submit myself to the way God's made me, and in doing so, I'm going to bring honor and glory to him, which is going to bring fulfillment to me. So uh, I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray, uh, let's pray about you and, and your brother, and uh, we'll see, see what the Lord does in this. Father, I just want to list, lift up this uh, caller, uh, and as uh, he or she, I'm not sure uh, who this is, but I pray that you would give them a courage and uh, ability to rightly divide your word and to bring this, um, this correction into their brother's life. Uh, this young man um, it seems as though he's sort of just floundering and not sure where to go or what to do. And I pray that you would provoke him and that you would stir him up and that you would cause him to take steps of faith and to see you move and work in miraculous ways in his life. So, Father, do what only you can do. God, uh, accomplish the work that only you can accomplish. And we look forward to seeing your grace and your glory on display. Uh, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Cody King, and uh, here in studio with you, you can give me a call, 303-690-3000, or send a text message, 720-336-0897. I got a text message here asking if it's wrong to ask God for specific things, like a certain job or a certain outcome, or do we ask, uh, excuse me, or do we ask that His will be done and trust that where we are at is where we are meant to be. I just feel guilty asking for things when he has already provided so much. Hey, it's a, a great question. I appreciate you texting that in. Um, I think, you know, when, as you say that, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, James chapter four. Um, and essentially in, in, uh, in this, I think that you're, you're kind of hitting on something that's a tension. Um, the Bible is filled with tensions. There are all sorts of things uh, in, in the Bible about uh, stuff that seems to not go together, but it actually does go together. It's, it seems to be pulling in opposite directions, and it brings this tension into our lives. 
And yet, at the same time, uh, it's something that God has designed. And so um, you're hitting on one of those tensions. Do I ask for specific things? Or do I not ask for anything and just trust that God's going to do whatever he's going to do? And I would kind of say, yeah, a little bit of both. You see, in James chapter 4, it says this, where do wars, chapter 4, verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and do not obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then in verse 4, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that this scripture says in vain, the spirit dwells, uh, who dwells in us yearns jealous, jealously? Um, here's the, the concept that's being stated for us here in the beginning of James 4. It's to say, you don't have things because you don't ask for them. And, and this is not in a general kind of asking. This is a very specific kind of asking uh, that, that you're, not, you're not asking for, for the things that you need. And because you're not asking, you're not receiving. It's like, I, I love the analogy of a father-son or a, a dad and child kind of relationship. It really helps me to grasp who God is and the way that he works. And in this uh, child parent relationship, this father-child relationship, one of the things that I understand with my kids is that there are things that I know they need in their life, and yet I want them to know that I'm the provider of those things. And so I wait. I wait for them to acknowledge that. I wait for them to come to me. I don't just rush in and do all the things that they need. I don't always jump in and fix it for them, but I'm letting them learn. I'm letting them grow. I'm letting them develop, and I'm letting them also have the humility that it takes to ask me. And that's where the rest of chapter four goes, is that when you have humility, you're willing to submit to God. And so the the whole concept of even asking God for specific things is a heart and um, attitude of humility. It's it's a humble position that you take to say, God, I need this. If you don't provide it, I can't get it. If you don't direct it, I don't have the direction that I need. Um, if you if you aren't there, if you don't show up, it's sunk. I need you, God. And so I think it's important for us to pray specifically. Um, but I think that the heart of your question is, how do I pray specifically without telling God what to do? And I think that's a really, really great question. I think it's important for us to wrestle with because later on in chapter four, as as this thought continues, you have the idea of not asking um, and, and, uh, and so you don't receive. And then it says, well, you also, the stuff you ask for, it's because you're only thinking about you, right? There's this self-centeredness to it. It's not, you know, stuff that I need or, or even just things that I want. And, and, you know, with my kids, I love to give them what they want, but it's this constant need, this bottomless pit of more and more and more and more for me. And then, uh, that's followed by, if you had the humility to submit to God, then the Lord would show up in your life in unique and special ways. But then the way that this chapter ends is it says this in verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? Is it even, it is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes 
away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Here's what this is talking about. This isn't saying that you need to add a phrase to your prayers to say, if the Lord wills. That's not what that's saying. This is an attitude of heart that it has very little to do with the actual words that are said and very much to do with the attitude by which your life is lived. Some people think they're the captain of their ship. They think they're the one who determines their own destiny. And, and so they don't, they don't make room for God. They write their plans and then they tell God, I need you to bless my plans. And God says, I don't, I don't function that way. Jesus didn't die on the cross in order to make you God. His death, burial, and resurrection is to buy you, to purchase you, to be enthroned upon your heart. And from that position of him being enthroned, everything else finds its right place. And when you're in that sort of submitted, uh, humble uh, attitude, then your entire life is on the slant of if the Lord wills. And when you when you have that sort of perspective and attitude, then you can come to the Lord and ask boldly for anything like a kid. And that's the way that the Lord wants us to do it. That, that my kids, when they're young, they don't care about what I'm doing or who I'm, who I'm meeting with or what's going on. They just walk right up to me. They just want my attention. They want to uh, ask me for whatever they need. And as a dad, I want to provide anything and everything that they need. And, and so I think that in this, it's to say, try to, um, well, maybe just ask the Lord to remove some of the religious bondage uh, and the religious goggles that get placed upon your heart and mind, and to see him as a good dad who really loves you. And, and when you see him that way, then you're not trying to tell him what to do. You're just you're just honestly asking. And, and when you ask from an attitude that says, hey, Lord, your will be done, it's, it's like what Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he prayed specifically, Lord, take the, if there is any other way, Father, take this cup from me. And then he followed it up with, nevertheless, not, not my will be done, but your will be done. That was the attitude of heart that was coming through in his prayer. Uh, as well, I would say when Jesus gave us the model prayer, you know, the, it's often called the Lord's Prayer, but I, would, I think it's better stated as the model prayer. What Jesus was saying was, um, he, said, he said, your prayer should be pretty specific. That once you get into the part of asking God for things, you know, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. That's an attitude, heart of submission to say, you're big, I'm small. You're great, I'm little. You're God, I'm not. And then he even says, God, I need, I need food for today. And I, I think our refrigerators sort of remove that part of our prayer. And uh, so I would say, you know, even thanking God for the, the food that he gave to you and asking for his provision, asking for his direction, and being able to be freed up to be a little bit more bold in your prayers. So I hope that helps you in thinking through prayer and uh, experiencing that kind of a, a tension. Hey, uh, thanks for listening in to Calvary Live today. we got a couple of minutes left in the show, and I just want to take a couple of minutes to just encourage you in the things of the Lord. Uh, just to say that the biggest thing that you need in your life— the number one biggest thing that you need in your life, it's not uh, speculation about God, it's revelation from God. The, the reality is that God has revealed himself. God has shown himself. 
and you don't need some sort of miraculous, spectacular light shining out of heaven, giving you the direction to go this way or that way. That rarely happens. Even in the Bible, it rarely happens that God moves that way. But God has chosen to reveal himself to you. And the way that God's chosen to reveal himself to you is through his word. You can trust it. You can place your faith in the word of God because the word of God is always true. It's always secure and it's always sure. And so I just want to encourage you that um, as you are pursuing the Lord, that you pursue God in his word, that you open his word and you read his word, that you give attention to his word, and that when you find a place to worship, that you find a church to participate with, because we are the church and God has called you to be a part of a local body. And so get into a local body, be a part of a local body. Don't just show up, be involved, share your life with those around you. But here's the primary thing that matters the most. It's not, do they have cool lights? It's not, does the band play really awesome music? It's not, do I feel good when I am here? The number one thing that matters the most is, is God's word opened and clearly expounded upon. That, that's the most important thing that you can find in a church. And, and so I just want to encourage you with that thought. And, and maybe maybe you're a pastor and you need to have that encouragement that if you're opening God's word and you're delivering it to God's people, you are being faithful and God is using that to nourish his people. Do not quit. We need you to continue in that. And perhaps maybe you're a pastor flipped on, uh, flipped on the other side of that and you're not really, you're not really opening God's word. You're you're tempted to say, what can I do to, to try to get more people in the doors? What, what kind of gimmicks can I apply? What kind of stuff can I do? And I, I would just caution you, don't start down that road. Because once you do, you start doing bigger and better, and there's always more to do. But if you simply open God's word, love God's people, and feed them faithfully, then you let God decide who he brings to you. You let God determine who he wants to entrust to your care. You just worry about being faithful to love and serve and encourage those who are in the flock that God has given you uh, the opportunity to serve. So, hey, I, I love being able to be with you here on uh, the radio here and just want to encourage you to pursue the Lord. Hey, if you would like to check out what's happening at Redemption Calvary, I'd love to see you at Redemption. Uh, you can visit our website. It's redemptioncalvary.org. Uh, to get you know directions, listen to messages, get more information uh, about the church. Um, and we are currently going through a series in the Ten Commandments. This week we're going to be looking at commandment number three. I'm just really excited about being able to, to go through these commandments and see what God has for us and would love to see you at Redemption. Also, you can listen to our radio program here on Grace FM Sunday night, or excuse me, weeknights at 8 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. It's called Redemption Radio. And uh, it's my pleasure privilege and pleasure to be with you today. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord and uh, keep looking up. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.